This is the Tao of Christ, and I'm Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which church historian Evelyn Underhill called the Unit of Life, and which Richard Rohr calls the Universal Christ, and which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning. This is Marshall Davis, and this is another talk on Christian non-duality. And today I'm going to talk about the Christian ceremony called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a symbol of what I call unitive awareness, which Jesus calls the Kingdom of God. Also called Holy Communion or the Eucharist, this Christian ritual is a symbolic proclamation of non-duality. Of course, that's not the way it is presented in traditional Christianity. You've likely never heard it presented that way before, but that is the way the Gospel of John presents it. The sacrament is said to be a commemoration of the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, which was a Passover meal. At least that's how it is portrayed in the first three Gospels in the New Testament. But in the Gospel of John, the Last Supper is not a Passover meal, like in the other three Gospels. The Lord's Supper is not instituted at the Last Supper. There's no mention of bread or wine. Nothing about his body or blood is mentioned on that night. John's Gospel changes the calendar events surrounding Jesus' death so that the Passover meal does not happen till after Jesus dies. John does this deliberately so that the Lord's Supper would not be interpreted as a sacrificial meal with all of the theological ramifications that that implies. At the Last Supper, instead of a ritual meal of bread and wine interpreted as the body and blood of Christ, a different Ritual is established, foot washing, communicating the importance of serving one another in humility. But at the time that the Gospel of John was written, near the end of the first century, the the Lord's Supper had been adopted by the early church with its body and blood interpretation, as the other Gospels reveal. So what the fourth Gospel tries to do is reinterpret it. This indicates that there was an alternate understanding of the origin and meaning of the Eucharist in the early church. There was a minority voice that saw it not as a sacrifice for sins, but as union with God. That is why one of the terms used to describe it is communion, which means union with. In John's Gospel, Jesus' discussion of his body and blood is placed much earlier in Jesus' ministry in the context of a meal called the Feeding of the 5,000. The Feeding of the 5,000 is the Lord's Supper in John's Gospel. It's not Jesus offering the food in this story, but a young boy echoing Jesus' words that we have to become like a young child to enter the kingdom of God. The meal is not a Jewish family ritual, 
It is an outdoor picnic with friends and strangers where abundance is celebrated when people offer what one has in generosity, like the small boy does, and like Jesus does. This came to be called the love feast in Christianity and is mentioned in the little book of Jude. This is an entirely different way of approaching the Lord's table. For John, it is a symbol of everyday living that reveals the abundant presence of God. It teaches us what it means to abide in Christ, in union with God, in what I call unitive awareness or non-dual awareness. Using the theological vocabulary of the Gospel of John, this is about the eternal I am that Christ is and that we are in Christ. In the context of the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, Jesus offers one of his I am statements, which is shorthand for our spiritual identity with the divine. This is the pattern in the Gospel of John. Jesus does a miracle, which is called a sign in this Gospel, and then he gives a sermon that explains the meaning of the sign. And each of those sermons includes an I am statement in which Jesus proclaims his true nature as I am, as eternal being or non-duality. His words echo, of course, the story of God revealing his eternal nature and name to Moses at the burning bush, where he says that he is I am, or I am that I am. Jesus feeds thousands of people with a few rolls of bread and, and a couple of fish, and then says, I am the bread of life. He calls himself the living bread and the bread that has come down from heaven. In so doing, he draws a parallel to the manna that the Hebrews ate in the wilderness after their escape from Egypt. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Just like the manna in the wilderness gave the Hebrews physical life, so does the bread of life give spiritual life. So there would be no doubt that this passage is talking about and trying to reinterpret the, the Lord's Supper, Jesus explicitly here talks about his body and blood. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Such language like this about eating his flesh and, and blood can be offensive to people. That's what prompted non-sacramental groups like the Quakers and the Unitarians to abandon the right. I have had parishioners in my churches over the years 
refused to partake of communion because of this. And we know that the ritual has parallels in pagan mystery cults that were around at the time that Christianity was forming. Ritual consumption of a god was widely practiced by religious groups. Osiris, Dionysus, Attis, and others were ritually consumed by their devotees. Although Christianity was drawing primarily upon the sacrificial motifs of the Hebrew Bible, where a sacrificial meal was eaten, it was likely influenced by the religious practices of its Greco-Roman culture as well. But whatever its origin, ritually eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood is not a pleasant image, especially when you have to do it on a regular basis in a worship service. Now, most Christians are so used to the ritual that we don't even think about how it must appear to people who are not familiar with Christianity. The early Christians had to deal with charges of cannibalism from the culture in which they lived, which is why John's Gospel omits the Lord's Supper and its story of the Last Supper and substitutes the more acceptable ritual of foot washing. In the Gospel of John, instead of blood and wine, we have bread and fish. The elements of the Eucharist are called true food and true drink, or food of truth and drink of truth. John's Gospel interprets the Lord's Supper as about truth and about abiding in Christ. Jesus says, My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Communion is about being one with Christ. That's the meaning of the term abide in me. It's also translated dwell in me or live in me. This is the same truth that the Synoptic Gospels proclaim as the Kingdom of God being within us. Jesus explores what it means to abide in him in much greater detail in that passage of Scripture called the High Priestly Prayer, which occurs in the Gospel of John on the night of the Last Supper. And I'll deal with that more when I deal with that passage. Abiding in Christ is non-dual awareness. When my mind rests from the fleeting images and ideas of the world, I abide alone in the eternal Christ that does not change. That's what happens at the Lord's Supper in worship. I am abiding in Christ. I identify with the eternal Christ. The two become one, Christ and I become one because we are one. Just like physical food becomes the elements of our physical body, so are we one with Christ in the Lord's Supper. That's why I like the term communion for the Lord's Supper. It communicates the true meaning of the ritual. Abiding in Christ is not just a ritual or a spiritual practice. It is the everyday reality of our lives. It's always present. It is the substratum of our consciousness, which only needs our attention to come to the forefront. 
This is unity of awareness. This is what we are. We are always one with God. Always abiding in Christ, no matter what we're doing. That's why Brother Lawrence can say he was as close to God in the monastery kitchen washing dishes as he was on his knees at the Eucharist. We are one with Christ in God. That is the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That's it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.